Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 574 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 18th of September 2021 as I record this. In today's show I'm talking about writing and producing audio drama and podcast fiction with Sarah Werner. We talk about the increasingly blurred lines between podcasts, audiobooks, audio dramas and other audio projects, the challenges of writing for audio drama and the various elements you need from actors to sound effects and where to find them. As audio becomes an increasing part of the publishing landscape for both content creation and sales and marketing, this is an interesting discussion regardless of genre. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news. Well, the big news in publishing right now is the problem with distribution and supply chain for books, as well as cost increases for consumables like paper. Christine Catherine Rush has an in-depth article on her site, chriswrites.com, and you've probably noticed this supply chain issue in other areas too, as it's not just books. And although some here in the UK would like to blame it on Brexit, it's not just the UK that is struggling. And of course, Chris writes primarily from the US market perspective. As she says, the supply chain is a nightmare. It's not going to improve anytime soon. We are going through a worldwide cataclysm that touches every aspect of our lives. And of course, this is still ripples of the pandemic, but also there's quite a bit of whole sabre rattling around uh, China right now. sure you've noticed in the news, but we're not going to get political. (laughs) So Ingram sent out an email notifying all of us who use Ingram, which at this point is a lot of people. (laughs) It's not just indie authors, it's also traditional publishers and uh, our distributors that we use for POD and everything. Pretty much everyone uses Ingram. And they notified us that printing prices are set to increase between 3% to 6% depending on the market. From November, a statement from Ingram says, Amidst significant uncertainty in the global supply chain, Ingram Spark is committed to supporting the book industry with the best possible service through the busy holiday season and into 2022. Over the past several months, the publishing industry has seen several cost increases for consumables, such as paper and packaging materials, as well as an increase in the cost of labour. Operating safely during the pandemic has also required additional resources and investments in manufacturing and distribution centres. So Chris discusses the impact on traditional publishing and physical bookstores, which have primarily relied on print runs, which of course involves printers and paper and consumables and all of this, and often printed in China or other places where printing is cheaper. And then the rapid distribution and rapid reprinting of popular books. If they sell lots or something hits the zeitgeist and they start to fly off the shelves, then they order a reprint. But this can't be done at speed with restrictions and you have to schedule much much earlier several months earlier and so even if you have to do a rapid print run you you probably won't be able to do it because you have to schedule the time at the printers and if you don't know whether a book will do well you either under order and then risk there being uh, it running out or over order and risk returns which of course cost money to the publisher and 
print book sales impact an author's career within traditional publishing. So, you know, maybe the book might have sold more if there had been more copies available. And that kind of thing can kind of ripple through an author's uh, career. So the pandemic has driven more people to read digitally with ebooks and audiobooks. So this might also drive more people to digital because the price of books is going to go up across the board. And of course, books might not be available. Print on demand doesn't require advanced printing, which is an advantage. But as more publishers move into digital and print on demand, the prices are going up. So it does impact indie authors, just not in terms and just not so much, basically, because we don't rely on bookstores and um, print runs generally. But if you are doing a special print edition for a Kickstarter or you're doing Christmas print promotions, order books now, (laughs) i.e. get it done. I have already shipped books from Ingram, Australia to New Zealand in anticipation of doing events there in December and early 2022. Um, We're going on a, a family trip. Some people have asked me about this and they're like, oh, it's so amazing. You're doing the trip of a lifetime. I'm like, well, no, I lived in New Zealand for seven years. My husband's a Kiwi. We're going back for family reasons. So even though it, you'd like to say it's a holiday, it's not. It's a family trip. Uh, <laughs> so I don't count family trips as travel. <laughs> I count them as family trips. <laughs> but anyway, I will be in New Zealand, hopefully. Fingers crossed uh, that everything goes well and we'll be there. But uh, yes, remember to check your prices on Ingram in November and put them up to account for price rises. I will put a reminder in to mention that again on the show because I will be doing it too. And if you don't put up your prices, you can end up out of pocket. And we don't like being out of pocket. (laughs) But as ever, a digital first and print on demand business uh, that has your books available globally, as well as selling direct is the most nimble and resilient business model during a pandemic that continues to go on and on. And even when the pandemic is kind of officially over, the ripples in supply chain and labour costs and all of this and inflation, the inevitable inflation uh, will impact things. So I don't consider that. That's definitely a newsy, newsy piece. It's not, I'm not worried about it. It's just part of business. Um, But I feel like because we're digital first, it's not such a big deal. So good news in book marketing as Written Word Media has launched a new promotion service called Reader Reach, which will create and run Facebook ads for your books in a campaign way. So it's not like an ongoing Facebook account management. It's a specific several days run for your book promotion. Written Word Media are the team behind Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy, Red Feather Romance and New in Books and more. And as a wide author, I use their services every few months to get ads across the retail and they're kind of one of the foundations of my marketing. Uh, Reader Reach is available to book now at Written Word Media, links in the show notes, and it is only for the main fiction genres at the moment. Although I have asked them about doing non-fiction because I, when I did do Facebook ads, and I, I guess I should be putting up a few this week as it's book launch week. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a minute. But essentially, non-fiction, it is quite easy to find niches with non-fiction uh, book launches. But uh, Yes, so that is Written Word Media, new service, Reader Reach. And for a down-to-earth discussion on whether you really need ads, and it's pretty relaxed and uh, (laughs) it made me laugh, always enjoy it, the Six Figure Authors podcast. Uh, It is essentially what you can get away with if you hate doing ads. I would say that's the subtitle of the podcast episode, but the official episode title, episode 98 on Six Figure Authors is, do authors need to advertise and where and how much should you spend? (laughs) 
<laughs> but I quite enjoyed the chat. And I have a futurist segment this week because I attended Digital Book World virtually, it was online, and there were several sessions on AI narration as well as one on NFTs. Now, Digital Book World is a long-running conference. It has changed ownership a few times, but it is one that publishers do pay attention to. And having sessions on AI narration and NFTs does demonstrate both of these topics are moving into more mainstream publishing discussions. So on AI narration, both Deep Zen and and SpeechKey, who I've mentioned both of these companies before, spoke on their solutions for AI-generated audio. DeepZen said only 8% of ebooks are available in audiobook and 90% are in English. I thought that was really interesting because that clearly demonstrates a massive market that requires audio. Now, both companies say AI-generated audio is AI-narrated audio is not for certain types of books. But if you think about really long, you know, even things like textbooks or uh, long nonfiction or long fiction, where people are not going to invest in a human narrator for a 200,000 word uh, epic fantasy unless they have a big budget, then this is really interesting. And I, I think this is these figures. So 8% of ebooks are available in audiobook format and 90% of audiobooks are in English. <laughs> I mean, that's just shocking considering the market that is underserved. So don't think it's too late to get into audio. I think this is exactly showing that it's not too late. Now, um, DeepZen said that their content is now accepted on 50 vendors globally, including Apple Books, Google Play, Kobo, Scribd and Spotify. And they announced a partnership with Ingram. Voice artists are remunerated for the use of their voice. And this voice licensing model is something I've mentioned before, is something I think is important and is good news and is a way for uh, voice narrators to monetize. And if I was a official narrator, I would be really looking at doing voice licensing early <laughs> before the massive number of other people who want to do it. But it's interesting that they mention that, of course, Audible still not allowing AI narration officially. And certainly ACX and Findaway Voices are the main companies that indie authors use only allow human narration. But it's interesting that, I mean, th these are, Deep Zen has a partnership program, so they act as the publisher for those for those books that they're talking about. You can, you can hire them to do individual projects, but mostly the issue with AI narration right now is distribution. I'll come back to that in a minute. SpeechKey say they have 251 realistic voices across 72 languages and they're dropping the prices quite a lot. It's now $400 to $800 per audiobook depending on the voice you choose and the book is back with you within 12 hours. Now they say again they're not replacing human narration but there are a lot of books that can be done this way. Now again before you get too excited I mean in one way this is moving the quality is it gets better like every few months if you listen to samples it's getting better so the quality I think will not be an issue very soon I mean it's already not really an issue it's more that there's an intonation occasionally there's an intonation that makes you question something but look to be honest I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I hear some people when pronouncing things that in England for example there's a lot of names that if you read them on uh, on if you read them and you've never heard them spoken you're going to pronounce them wrong <laughs> You absolutely are. 
Um, I mean, Americans will always, will generally always pronounce English place names wrong because you have to hear it spoken. And I'm sure it's the same with other places too. Uh, I'm sure I pronounce lots of things wrong. So humans pronounce things wrong as well. But certainly the intonation is getting better. And Deep Zen, uh, as I said, do this partnership program. Speech Key, I think, have something similar, but they say they are not a distribution distributor. So I asked both companies about the challenges of distribution and they essentially are saying that the creation of AI narrated audio is not the issue but the distribution and sales are the responsibility of the publisher which of course is us. So the creation of a product is only the start and we know that with books in other formats. We know that you can create an ebook or a print book very, very, very easily. Publishing is no longer the problem. The problem is reaching readers <laughs> and the obviously the quality of the book and um, all the craft. The craft side and the marketing are the issue forever. <laughs> That's not going to change. Right. So if you have a direct sales channel, you can sell AI narrated audio direct. And I might do this. I think I, you know, I'm getting to the point where I can't really say no anymore um, for that kind of price. It's worth a try. So I might do that and see how it goes with direct sales. But if you are thinking about, oh, I could just do my whole catalogue, I would I still think it's worth waiting just a bit longer, given how much the quality is improving every six months and the cost comes down. I mean I can't pick it, but I just can't see that this won't become more acceptable to the bigger players within the next couple of years. And this is not going away. <laughs> so, yeah, audio. I feel like it's so funny. I feel like it's day one for audio every new day at the moment. It's expanding into so many areas. The other thing is the session on NFTs was really interesting. And this is definitely something publishers are looking at, because it is another way to monetize intellectual property. And there are a number of companies starting NFT solutions for publishing, which are not available publicly yet, but might be in the next few months. Uh, I've done several episodes on NFTs and AI audio. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash future, you'll see all the links to all the sessions I've been doing on all of these different types of topics. So I'm not going to go into what is an NFT right now. I've done a session on that. <laughs> but the fact that they did it, they actually did a demo for a, a solution, a site called Transium, which has the ebook as the central part of the product, but has all these different kinds of attachments. So there's the ebook, and then there might be a QR code for entry to a physical event. They talk about physical objects like print books or a phone session with the author, uh, like a Zoom session. And now, to me, one of the attractions with smart contracts and blockchain is resale of these digital objects, which couldn't really be do done if you include physical objects or live sessions, stuff like that. But there will be what this brought home to me is that there'll be different NFTs for different things and that they're talking about it very much as a community builder uh, for one way and also for this resale market in a different way. So, for example, it can be a community thing. And you can, if if you buy into, if you buy, let's say I have a Creative Pen episode, someone, someone emailed me and said, what are you going to do for episode 666? <laughs> 
<laughs> which I quite liked. So what if I decide to do an, uh, an, an NFT for episode 666 for the Creative Pen? And basically you can buy that and it's it might be access to a uh, a live recording and Q&A and something and a special <laughs> special ebook. <laughs> I don't even know what it could be. But the fact is that could be something that I pre-sell and then I release that on the day. And it's a way, it's another way of selling direct. And I think this is why publishers are so excited. (laughs) They are actually seeing this as a way to bypass companies like, you know, obviously the big companies. This bypasses the big companies and they, it it has all kinds of possibilities to what you could sell. Now, originally, you know, it's essentially a bundle. Several of you have asked me, well, what is an NFT? Is it like another format? No, it's not a format. It's it's kind of a bundle. So for example, I am going to do one in uh, December and it will probably include a the ebook in the multiple formats it will include a video of me co-writing with uh, AI and it will also include a uh, a picture of my draft so it, each NFT will include a separate picture so these will not be the same products there'll be different products essentially they will be limited edition and there will be a picture of my edits hand edits which I do Uh, So you'll see my handwriting and what I changed and everything. So I hope it will be interesting to both my fiction audience and my non-fiction audience, you guys, because you can actually see how I'm writing. And the videos are really funny because I've been taking the videos while I've been writing. So you can see me sitting there with my headset on and writing away. So I I think this is going to be very interesting. and, And these companies look like they'll be launching before Christmas. So in terms of other companies, the interesting, the one I've been keeping an eye on is Bookwire. And there, um, I found out that their system is going to be called Creatokia. And I'm going to try and get some more info on that. Now, these solutions will mean that buyers can use Stripe or PayPal, so they can use a normal credit card rather than cryptocurrency. These products, the NFTs will still mint on a blockchain, so they still use blockchain. But um, in the case of Transium, they mentioned that they're using the NEAR protocol, which is a climate neutral blockchain. And Polygon, which while Ethereum compatible, uses tiny amounts of energy for transactions. So as expected, as I mentioned a few months back, the environmental concerns are being addressed as this goes mainstream so it, it's very funny. It looks like the blockchain and NFT side is being embraced much faster than the AI voice side. And I think that's because there aren't any humans involved. Obviously, the AI voice side is going to impact the narration, narrators. Uh, it impacts, um, it also impacts kind of rights that already exist. And there's people know what to protest about. <laughs> but with NFTs, it's essentially a new way of doing digital So if you are traditionally published, please check your contracts. Have you signed away all rights existing now and to be created for the life of copyright or all formats existing now and to be created for the life of copyright? If you have, you cannot do NFTs yourself because the NFT, as I said, is not a format. It's kind of a bucket and it will contain the ebook, for example. If you've signed away ebook rights or audiobook rights, you also can't do an NFT. 
unless you get some kind of sub right back or something. So I'm, I think this is very going to be very interesting in terms of rights licensing. And if you are traditionally published, if you have signed a contract, then you need to think about this. But yeah, an NFT is kind of a digital bundle with cool stuff in. I also, in terms of futurist things, want to recommend a new book out this week. I'm about a third of the way through and it's awesome. It's called AI 2041 and it's by Kai-Fu Lee and Chen Chufan. And it is a collaboration. And if this is a book you're going to want, whether you're, if you don't know anything or if you already know quite a lot. So it has 10 short stories set in 2041 based around developments in AI that currently exist and that they, it's like these exist already. So deep fakes, for example, there's a deep fake story. There's a, an algorithm story and it's kind of projected 20 years in the future, how will this world look if we carry on in those areas? Now, Kai-Fu Lee, his AI superpowers is one of my must-read recommendations if you're interested in AI. But what this is, is an after each short story, there is a, so it's sort of, this is the topic we're covering. So GPT-3, natural language generation is one of the section. Then it will be, here's a short story. So you can enter into a world, fictional world. And then afterwards, there's a chapter with Kai-Fu Lee explaining the technology and what's currently going on and what's being developed. So this is really useful if you just want to dabble and you want to try the uh, the story side, but also to learn more about the technologies. So that is AI 2041 by Kai-Fu Lee and Chen Chufan. And as ever, thecreativepen.com forward slash future for all of my more futurist stuff, which is swiftly becoming a reality. <laughs> so in my personal update this week, yes, new book is out. <laughs> the Relaxed Author, co-written with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, is out now in ebook, paperback, large print, hardback and audiobook formats. You can buy the ebook and audiobook directly from me at payhit.com forward slash the creative pen. And yes, Mark gets 50%, don't you worry. <laughs> and the audiobook is narrated by both of us. It's very cool. I really think it's very cool, if I do say so myself. The audiobook is going out to all the usual places. So if you want to use your one of your credits or you want to listen on your preferred platform, it will. It is going out. You know, it takes a while. But you can get it direct from us right now. Payhip.com forward slash the creative pen. So on next week's show, Mark and I are going to talk about how we co-wrote the book and some of the things we learned. Uh, so that's next week you'll hear more about the relaxed author. But if you want to go check out the book, uh, go get it now. So I also had a few days away this week in the Y Valley in the Forest of Dean, which are not very far away from us. We, it's so funny, we did have, uh, we did have Corfu booked in, in Greece, one of the Greek islands, but it, there are so, still so many restrictions around testing. And I am, because we're going to New Zealand and we have to spend two weeks in a quarantine hotel, we we just, and obviously because I've had COVID and I spent almost two weeks in my own house, I do not want to have to take a test. And you can still get COVID when you're double vaxxed and you, you know, you can still test positive. <laughs> So I was like, I just can't bear the thought of having to spend any more time in quarantine. So we decided just to go local. So we went to uh, yeah the Y Valley, Forest of Dean, very beautiful. So if you want to see pictures of some Welsh castle ruins, the Mapamundi and the Change Library in Hereford and Puzzle Wood, which inspired some of the forest Tolkien wrote of. He used to go visit the Forest of Dean quite a lot, uh, the the 
Puzzlewood is very Fangorn-ish. Uh, if you love The Lord of the Rings, uh, go check out the pictures on Instagram and Facebook at JFPenAuthor if you'd like to see my pictures. And that's where I share all my pictures is on Instagram and Facebook. It's my fiction account. It's where I put everything. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Philippa Ross said, fascinating insight into travel writing with Jeremy Bassetti. I nearly didn't listen, as my perception was that this genre purely focused on monologues of people's travels. It really opened my eyes to the diversity of approaching travel, and I've even got an idea up my sleeve now. Podcasts really do sell books. I felt compelled to order a copy of Underland after your rave review. There we go just proof of podcast marketing and also thanks to Gigi Gigi uh, who emailed with evidence more evidence of podcast selling books she said thanks to your books and travel podcast episode with Mark Probert I had to know more about how you played with maps in your map walker trilogy the paper maps I acquire on my travels are so special to me so I picked up map of shadows and was hooked so there you go evidence of selling fiction and non-fiction with podcasting Heather C. Button said on Twitter, listening to the podcast about travel writing, so many good insights. I got so impacted by our multiple lockdowns. I wrote about a woman escaping her tower and the forced stay she was under. Yes, I know what you mean. And then finally, Hello Vanado on Twitter said, enticed to break months of Twitter silence by the creative pen. While I listen to Jeremy Bassetti, I'll rescue Kitty Catnaps. She is inspiring a travel book to cover my journey. And a lovely cat picture. I love seeing your pictures. You can tweet me at the creative pen. You can email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. You can leave a comment on the show notes. Uh, You can always find them at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. Right, so today's show, I actually decided to sponsor today's show with a different book, my book, Audio for Authors, Audiobooks, Podcasting and Voice Technologies, because this is an area that you really need to upskill in. Whether or not you're going to, you know, narrate or create a podcast, you don't have to do that. But it's so important that you understand how audio creation and marketing through audio works now and is only going to grow. I'm absolutely convinced that we're still, like I mentioned before, day one in audio. It's only going to expand. You have to know how to make the most of it, whether you choose it for marketing only uh, or for creation purposes. So if you want to get into audio yourself, the book has details on self-narration for audiobooks, working with narrators, everything you need if you want to do an audiobook or if you want to start a podcast, how to repurpose content and intellectual property considerations. If you just want to market through audio channels, there are chapters on how to research and pitch podcasters, as well as template emails that have worked on me. I actually, I got permission to use the emails and I share those, as well as ones that fail. Epic fail emails will not get you on podcasts. Also, how to be a great podcast guest. So you make the most of any audio appearance, as well as marketing audiobooks, the money side of things. And of course, a voice technology section with optimising for voice search, smart speakers, AI voices and more. So Audio for Authors is available in all the usual formats in all the usual places. And I narrated the audiobook. You can also buy the ebook and audiobook from me direct at payhip.com forward slash the creative pen or on your favourite store. 
So yes, that is the sponsorship today, which pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, if you buy enough books, obviously. (laughs) But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. So thanks to new patrons this week, David C.R. Nash and Wendy Bartlett. And thanks to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. And uh, everyone got some uh, coupons to get money off the launch of The Relaxed Author. So if you're a patron, you get the extra Q&A audio. You also get money off my uh, direct sales and also my courses. So you can support the show with just a couple of dollars or euros or GBP or whatever. There's lots of currencies now. Uh, Less than a coffee a month or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Sarah Ray Werner is a writer, professional speaker, and executive producer of Girl in Space, a multiple award-winning sci-fi mystery podcast, as well as the host of the Right Now podcast and executive producer of fantasy audio drama Omen. So welcome, Sarah. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, it'd be so interesting to talk to you today. But first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing for audio. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I sort of just fell into it, like I've fallen into so many (laughs) other things in my writing career. I started out as just a novelist, a writer, a blogger, and never really published anything, never really did anything with what I was writing for myself. And I decided I wanted to start a blog that would help other writers. This was back in 2013, 2014. And so I started this blog, and it was not getting any traction. And at the time, I was working for a marketing company, a digital marketing company, and a good friend there said, well, why don't you start podcasting? And I was like, I don't know, that sounds really intimidating. And like, it has a lot of like dials and levers and stuff and like something I'm not really prepared for. But eventually I ended up experimenting with auto and I changed my, my, I think I said auto instead of audio, but that's fine. I changed my blog into a nonfiction podcast called Right Now. And I just really loved both the experience of speaking into a microphone, it just felt so much more authentic. Despite being a writer and despite identifying as a writer, it just felt better to speak than it did to write this blog. And it also saw a lot more traction than my blog. And I think that was partly due to the time you know, with there, there being a very saturated blog market and back in 2014, 2015, not a ton of podcasts. So then after the success of the right now podcast, and just, you know, given how much I enjoyed doing it, I was like, Oh man, what if I spoke a fictional story into my microphone? Oh wait, maybe I should script it. And so I started just writing for audio and sort of turned some ideas that I had had floating around for a novel into the Girl in Space podcast. Uh, I started it as an experiment just to see if it would be fun, if it would be viable. And when I launched the first episode, fortunately, it took off. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to write some more of these episodes. And so really, I just kind of stumbled and flailed my way into it and realized that I just really enjoyed it. Well, I like that you after feeling you said intimidated and we'll come back to some of these things but you said Mm. you were intimidated and then you gave it a try and you enjoyed it and I feel like so many of the things uh, especially in this new world there's tech and you have to master a little bit of tech but the main thing is oh I'm scared of it and then I try it and then I enjoy it and you don't know unless you try do you? Absolutely oh that's so so true. So have you 
gone on with your writing in book format or are you really concentrating on the audio now? Oh, what a beautiful question. I think about this a lot. I think about, and you know, writing is not a monolith. Writing is not just one thing to everybody. And I think about my writing for audio, which really scratches an itch because I love writing dialogue. You know, it's largely dialogue and then like sound effects and descriptions that really don't end up coming out of the microphone. So really what you're writing is dialogue. And I love writing dialogue. And I was thinking the other day, like, oh, is this it? Is this where my path is leading? Is this, have I gone down a path where I've excluded all other possibilities? And I was like, well, of course not. I could still write a novel. It's always been my dream to write a novel. You know, growing up, I read book after book after book, like I think many writers today read as children. And I wasn't allowed to watch TV growing up. And so it was just books were everything to me. And while audio felt very accessible, like there's really no gatekeepers and you can kind of just write and publish and do the whole thing yourself. Writing a book is still very intimidating to me. And it's funny because I've also ghostwritten many books and I can write for other people very easily, but writing a novel for myself, there's just something there that's still very intimidating that like, oh, how dare I place myself among the ranks of all of these other beloved novelists that I grew up venerating. So it's kind of a tricky question for me. I would love to write a novel, but I don't know. I don't feel like I'm ready. It's so interesting, though, because so you you say you identify as a writer and of course you've done ghostwriting things, but uh, you are writing for audio. And I feel like so many people, I mean, I sent you some questions, obviously we'll go off script or whatever. I'm writing before I'm creating audio. I just recorded a solo episode for my books and travel show. I wrote the whole thing and then I performed it. I feel Mm. like people object to the word writer when it comes to audio, but everything is writing first, right? It is. TV is writing first, movies, it that's writing first, everything is writing first. So what do you think the difference is between writing for audio? So what you've done for Girl in Space, obviously you mentioned it's dialogue, <laughs> but versus writing a novel and then adapting it for audio, because they did two very different things, I think. Oh, absolutely. Very, very different. And all, all of this, I've just sort of learned as I, as I've gone, it's really interesting writing for audio. Again, like you said, that dialogue is a really heavy piece, but so when you're writing for audio, there's three things to consider. There's the dialogue, there is the sound effects slash music, and that can be anything from a, a hand knocking on a door, that being a sound effect to ambient music in the background. There's also the unspoken uh, cues for your actors. It's it's so different. You're writing using different puzzle pieces than you are when you're writing for a novel. Um, for a novel, you know, you're thinking about, oh, you know, my prose is coming across beautifully. My voice as a writer is coming out through the narrator or through whoever is the main point of view in the story. Whereas I feel like when you're writing for audio, you're really giving that over to your actors for them to insert their own voice later. And it it was so interesting giving my script over to other actors for the first time and hearing my dialogue come out of their mouths. And I actually worked with them to revise a lot of the script 
because I liked their own spin. I liked their own voice. And so I took my voice out of it even more uh, with my other actors. Like, oh yeah, this character wouldn't say it this way. They would say it this way. So it was really kind of more collaborative process too. And uh, more of a, a slow burn sort of edit. We were changing the script up until recording. And so there's just so much going on there that I wouldn't have known ahead of time that I learned while doing it. And really just what helped me there was being willing to be flexible and not being too precious, you know, with my own work. Wow, that's it's so interesting. And I really want people to get the point that this is not a book that a narrator has read, as in right. an audio book. This is an <laughs> audio drama, which, as you say, is it's more like a script. So that was uh, I've got so many questions, but did you okay. use script writing software like Final Draft or what technical format did you use? Well, first I started off using just Google Docs because I didn't know any better. Again, I when I say I stumbled into this, I mean in the most clumsy way. <laughs> so I started with Google Docs and I was like, well, this looks like I think a script should look like. And as I moved on and as I started working more seriously with my actors and taking the project more seriously, treating it less like an experiment and more like an actual living project, I started researching like, okay, how do people write? scripts? What does the formatting look like? So I gave myself a little crash course and I started using, and I don't know if it's pronounced Celtics or Celtics, it's C-E-L-T-X, which is a free screenwriting program, very similar to Final Draft. And, and so that's what I ended up using at the end of season one of Girl in Space. I was writing in what I felt like was a real format. But it's interesting to keep the door open for everybody who might be interested in doing this. You can start off however works best for you and you can learn as you go. You don't need all of these things in the way to start. You don't need to master some kind of technical program before you start writing. Uh, you can just write with what you have and where you are. And Scrivener has a screenplay template as well. So when I was writing some screenplays, I wrote in Scrivener and then exported it to Final Draft. So people can use that as well. But it's a good recommendation to have a free one. That's excellent. Yes. Final Draft is not free. <laughs> it is not free. I found that out later. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it can be difficult. So, OK, so that's one thing. So then you said dialogue. So obviously this is audio. So dialogue is a voice that is spoken out loud, but in a, it can still be internal thoughts right it can be a mm. character thinking to themselves uh, rather than just two or three or however many characters talking together I feel like that's a difference too it is absolutely so my character in girl in space x she's carrying around a recorder and she's ostensibly talking to her father who we find out later has passed away but this is the way that she stays connected with him and I was really thinking, how do I get some of this stuff across? Like, how do I know that my character is looking into a stereo microscope? And, you know, to take that question a step back, is it even important that the audience knows that she's looking into a stereo microscope? So you really have to decide what is so important that I cannot leave it out, that I must find a way to work into the dialogue here. For me, I don't know if I would do it the same way again and have the narrator say, well, okay, here I've got my stereo microscope and now I'm looking into it because there's also sort of what is the audience willing to put up with? What sounds realistic? How far is the audience willing to suspend their disbelief? You know, obviously they realize they're listening to an audio only story, but at what point are you taking them out of that story by over explaining things? And so it's really become a balancing act of 
What do you need to explain? What can you convey with sound effects? And then if you do want to convey things, how can you do it in the most natural sounding way? Can you have other people comment in interesting ways? Like, wow, that's a really big gun. Obviously not that <laughs> trite, but you know, how, how can you convey things in a way that doesn't make it too obvious or too staged sounding? The other thing that, that I've noticed is there's a, a real cool thing you can do when writing for audio that I was not even thinking about when I was writing novels. And that is how characters interact with each other and how they constantly interrupt each other and how they interrupt each other and how sometimes different characters, especially if you have an ensemble cast, will have two or three conversational threads going at a time instead of just one. And it ends up being a lot less of a tennis match like it would be in a novel where this person says a complete thought, often an entire paragraph, and then knocks the ball back over to the next character who says their next complete thought. In audio, I found that it sounds a lot more realistic to have people trail off, to have people constantly interrupting each other. And that can also be a great way to convey character. You know, if somebody is constantly interrupting someone else that says a lot about who they are and what they think of themselves as a character. And so that's been just kind of fun to play around with as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. If so, if someone wants to adapt their novel to an audio drama, because let's face it, and and I've given up completely on screenwriting because it is a completely (laughs) different industry. And it's, it's like a job. Screenwriting is a job and you can't do it on your own. Whereas I feel like audio drama you can as you say you can write your own script you can find actors you can put it together you can get it out there so it is a much more independent type of creative thing but if someone wants to adapt a novel are there particular types of novels that are going to work better or do you have to assess your work and check that it's got x amount of dialogue or how difficult it's going to be that is such an excellent question. I love this question. And I'm going to have a very disappointing answer. And you know, it's going to be that it kind of depends. But what you're going to be looking for when you're looking to adapt a work is how will this work in audio format? And to understand your answer to that question, even to answer that question, you have to understand why did I write this as a book first? What makes it work as a book? And does my character have a lot of rich inner life going on? Is this book like 90% my character thinking and looking around at things? Does it have a lot of dialogue that could come out in an audio story? How much do I want to come out in audio? And what can I do in audio that I was limited in doing in my novel? Like, what are the possibilities here? And how can that enrich and serve the story? There are definitely stories, I think, that work really well in audio, and there are definitely stories that work better as novels. I'd been struggling to think about how to adapt a novel that I have in my drawer here that has never seen the light of day into an audio drama now that I'm more familiar with the medium. And it's like, oh, this maybe isn't a good fit. There's a lot of internal thought. There's a lot of really juicy visuals that normal people won't narrate in their day-to-day dialogue. And so it is possible to have a narrator if, if you're interested in doing that. It's possible to say like, oh, and then Dorothy walked down the street and uh, the rain was beautiful and that's really terrible. 
So it's possible to have a narrator, but I haven't seen a lot of really engaging audio dramas with narrators. Again, rules are meant to be broken and you should definitely break that rule if you can do it and you can do it well. I I agree with you. And I I think this is where the lines are blurred now between uh, an audio book that someone can put out on a podcast feed in chapters, which Mm. was how I first listened to audio well, I say first, I mean, when digital audio <laughs> podio books, which is gone now, I think it's in Scribble or something. Uh, so I used to listen to authors reading out their own books, chapter by chapter. Scott Sigler is a good one. I found Scott yes. Sigler because of his audio. Yeah, so you know Scott. And But that is still an audio book narrated chapter by chapter, whereas what you're talking about is, is a performance by actors of a drama that is probably closer to a screenplay than a novel. Right. Uh, and obviously nonfiction can be the same. Malcolm Gladwell's recent Bomber Mafia, you know, designed mm. for audio and then put out in a book. So have you seen any other interesting sort of blurring of the line between books and podcasts and, and audio products, I guess? I have. And it's really interesting that you asked that. I see a lot of, um, especially on Reddit, where people are having discussions about, oh, is this project actually an audiobook or is it an audio drama? There's a lot of blurring of the lines there. Like, and, and there's also people who want to very strictly label things and say, no, it's not an audio drama unless you have different voices for each character, unless you have music and sound effects in the background. And they start listing out all these criteria to separate the two. I've also seen, I don't know if this is something that you or your audience is familiar with. There's a lot of what's called actual play podcasts, which are essentially D&D games. You know, a group, a D&D group that comes together and each person is their own character. And then later the producer of the show will add in music and sound effects. There's even question as to whether that counts as an audio drama or not because it's unscripted. I don't know how I feel about the labels. I think they can be helpful if people are necessarily looking for something like, oh, I'm definitely looking for an actual play podcast. Oh, I'm definitely looking for a scripted fiction experience. Oh, I'm definitely looking for an audio book. But I I question sometimes the importance or the necessity of those labels as storytelling in audio becomes more and more ubiquitous. I agree with you in one way in that the labels are difficult, but what the labels do help is consumers and paying for things. So right now I can get podcast fiction for free on podcast platforms I have to pay or I have a monthly subscription to a audiobook platform and I feel like if you are you sell an audiobook but a podcast is free and is monetized mm-hmm. in other ways so this is a big question uh, around how do you manage the money side of an audio drama and what are the options for monetization if it's not a direct sale oh absolutely Oh, this is so weird to talk about because we start getting into, oh, who deserves to be paid for their storytelling and who's releasing this for free and why and how did this all come about? But basically, there's a lot of different ways that you can monetize a podcast. Uh, One of those being, of course, the most obvious, which is advertising. And a lot of shows have ads. If it comes before the show, it's called pre-roll. If it's in the middle of the show, it's called mid-roll. 
And then there's also ads that roll at the very end. You might've heard these in different podcasts. It's a very popular method. Often advertising opportunities aren't available to podcasts until they grow to a certain size. Um, So advertising is one way that you can monetize your show. Another is to rely on donations, which is what I do. I rely on a third-party platform called Patreon, where people can donate either per month or per episode, uh, however they feel is a good amount of money. It's very... um, it's very unreliable, especially if you are trying to work that into a business plan. You don't know when people will come and go. You're not entirely sure. You're not guaranteed a certain amount of money. There's no contract involved. And so that is another way to make money. And then you also mentioned indirect ways of making money. And this is often what I recommend people do when they are first starting out to make money is use your podcast as a business card. Use your podcast as a way to advertise something else that you're doing that makes money. And so for the Right Now podcast, I drive people to my newsletter, which then I use to sell things. I drive people to my podcasting course, which helps me bring in passive income. With Girl in Space, which is my fictional show, it was a little different. I'm not really using that to sell anything, but I did end up selling the intellectual property itself after the show took off. And that's another avenue um, is your podcast could turn into a book deal, a movie deal, a TV. TV deal. It could be adapted for other things. People might want to buy the rights for it. And so those are the three biggest ways is advertising donations, and then using the intellectual property in some way, either to indirectly make sales or to, well, I guess that counts as four ways. It's not three ways. And then the fourth way is actually selling the intellectual property and making money that way. So those are the four that I've experimented with. There might be more, obviously, if you're working with a service like Spotify, or I know Apple does subscriptions now, you might make money subscription-wise through that. Yeah, I think think it's much harder to monetize a fiction podcast than it is a nonfiction show because there are so many more people making money in a niche, I think. So I have advertising, I have a Patreon, I do affiliate stuff. And, you know, there are people who want to reach a particular audience who they know will pay. Whereas the problem with a fiction audience is they're not necessarily going to pay or even if they are going to buy something, it's usually not very expensive, like yes. <laughs> another $5 book or something. So it is, yes. that is interesting in itself. I did want to just come back on the IP, the intellectual property. You mentioned they're selling the IP. Do you mean licensing it? So you've signed a license to someone and they might be able to use it in other ways. Or did you actually sell the copyright to someone else? Yeah. So initially I had optioned out. So, you know, listeners are probably familiar with what optioning means. So I'd optioned out Girl in Space for specifically TV and film. And then I got to keep my own rights for books and the podcast and a couple other things. But, you know, all of that is that's all a possibility is you could sell the entire thing and just wash your hands of it and say, okay, that's yours. Now I'm going to go make something else. Or you can also option it, see if it gets made and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think that's good. It's just, uh, I always get very particular about the word selling versus licensing because we all make money out of licensing our rights. And yes, you can do work for hire or you can sell your project. That would be another thing, actually. Writing for hire, I know quite a lot of people now who write for hire as audio drama 
you know, writers yes. and they don't own any of that IP that's work for hire. So the copyright is owned by the, the company that pays them. So I think there's all kinds of options, but I guess what we're saying is don't go, don't start a podcast expecting to get a TV <laughs> show from it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've noticed that a lot of TV shows are being made from podcasts, but having that expectation going in, I think you'll just end up uh, feeling a lot of resentment. <laughs> Yes. And, and also they are starting, they are generally made from these bigger brands. So Wondery, yes. I think Amazon just bought Wondery. Yes, they did. Yes. So they, that is, again, it's an IP play. It's a, here's some popular shows that we can potentially turn into other media and yeah, turning things into other media is the key, right? For all of it us. Is. It is. Yes. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Okay, I want to come back on the actors. So how did you find actors and do you pay them or what are the kind of terms for working with actors? Yeah. Oh gosh, this is a little embarrassing. So when I started out, again, I I cannot stress enough how much I did not know what I was doing. I actually, all of the actors in season one, or at least part one of season one of Girl in Space are my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law's roommates, like that, those are, those are my actors. And then I had a coworker from the marketing company that I used to work for. And like, that was my cast and they were very accommodating. They were very sweet. And then later on, as I learned more about the industry and as I made more connections within the industry and I started adding new roles, those were actual actors. And I did send out casting calls and set up a contract that said, okay, this is how you're going to get paid. This is how much I'm going to pay you. This is how this whole thing is going to work. I am a huge advocate of paying your actors, but also I realize if you're a college student who's starting an audio drama and you can't even afford you know, to buy food, oh, how am I going to pay an actor $300 for this role? So initially what I was also doing was uh, trading. And so one of my actors has their own audio drama. And so I voiced a role on that audio drama in exchange for this person voicing a role on my show. And that exchange worked out very nicely. I also did some marketing consulting for some people just because I have a background in marketing. So there's different ways that you can work things out. You know, if you're a composer, you can compose music for their show in exchange for them acting. So yeah, so there's different ways to do that, but And it's really interesting too, whether you're working with, and I don't know if this is a thing in the UK, but here in the States, we have the Screen Actors Guild, uh, SAG-AFTRA. And there's a lot of discussion going on right now, especially in the indie space where, oh my gosh, we cannot afford to pay these union rates. And so who is acting in our show? Who's available to act in our show? What are we going to do moving forward? That's just a, a discussion that's happening right now too, is how long will... Uh, this remain a possibility for people to create indie shows with a very shoestring budget. Yes. Well, and this brings me on to the question about AI voices, because Mm. they are getting better and better. And on the one hand, yes, we have to acknowledge the wonderful job that actors do and audiobook narrators do and voice actors and all of that and that it is a professional skill absolutely and they should be paid but on the other hand as you say there is lots of potential in the AI voice space which is being already used a lot in the gaming industry Mm. for to generate voices for characters and all this kind of thing so is there a way that we could use a bit of both to spread the budget? Or what do you think about this very emotional issue of AI voices? 
you know, this is really interesting because I was approached by a company and they're who essentially wants to use my voice as an AI voice. And I, I still haven't responded um, to that request because I just don't know how I feel about it. Am I putting myself out of work by making my voice available or am I enabling people to create with a shoestring budget? It's just, it's so touchy. And I think a lot of it comes down to what do you need out of the performance? If it's a narrator, if it is just a background voice, you know, that I can see that being used, but if you need a really like heart wrenching, emotional performance, I, I think you're going to want to go with an actor and knowing that from the start of your project, I think is going to be really tricky is like, where do I want this character to go? How do I want this character to grow? And what is that going to be look like? What is that going to look like uh, when it's conveyed through purely voice? And for me, I think it's difficult to think that far ahead because I, I'm very much a right by the seat of my pants kind of person. And I'm not sure that like, oh, this person's going to have an emotional breakdown in season two and I need to prepare for that and I need to cast accordingly. So but I feel like I've given you a, a very non-answer, but it's I don't know if there is necessarily an answer right now. I think it's something that we're going to have to feel out and experiment with and really decide individually what's right for our show. I know there's also some ethical questions about, oh, are we putting actors out of work or are we opening up doors for people with smaller budgets? And the answer is yes to all of that, I think. Yeah, I think this hybrid idea is far more likely. You know, Mm -hmm. we all have secondary characters and small parts and stuff like that that presumably could be done by smaller voices or what you were talking about I've been looking into voice licensing Mm -hmm. so for example Samuel L Jackson is a voice on Alexa and there's no way he just gave his voice to Amazon right he's (laughs) licensed his voice to be used as an Alexa voice and that's what I see I mean what I would say to the company that's emailed you is I would say show me the contract Mm. because what we will be doing, and I've had companies too, is it's voice licensing in the same way that you license your IP to be used in in another product. It's licensing your voice to be used in uh, future productions that you want to keep control of. Mm-hmm. So I think these are going to be opportunities and the biggest voice actors will be able to license their voices and make money while they sleep. It's the ultimate kind of passive income for a voice it brand. Is. <laughs> And there is something beautiful about that. Like we have this technology, let's use it. Let's see what it can do. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so you mentioned there, you've kind of had two extremes for actors, which was your mates and your family, and then the SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, Surely there's somewhere in between where people can find voice actors. Is it just a case of networking within the fiction, audio drama, podcasting space? It is. I I found mine on Twitter. I know that there's websites like Backstage where you can put out casting calls and you won't necessarily get the most famous voice actor, but uh, you might find someone who fits uh, your show really well. Yeah. So mine ended up being later on um, a lot of networking, just a lot of um, I'm part of the podcasting community, especially the audio drama community now. And so I kind of know who to ask, like, hey, can you share this casting call with the voice actors you work with? And word just gets around. But again, there are more formal uh, avenues for doing that, like backstage.com and some other places. And then another really important point, sound effects and music. If people don't know, these things are also copyright generally. (laughs) 
They are, and, yes. Yes. So you can't just go, oh, yeah, I really like that song by Taylor Swift or whatever. So I'm going <laughs> to stick it in my podcast. So <laughs> what, what are your uh, recommendations around sound effects and music and making sure they're royalty free or creative mm. commons or stuff like that? Mm, absolutely. Just I always tell people be very, very careful and very respectful when you are using any kind of sound that you don't make yourself. I usually advise people like if you're able to, if you have like a small zoom recorder, or if you have a portable recorder to try making your own Foley, it's very hard to get a very clean recording, but it's also kind of fun to learn and experiment with. However, if it's not possible for you to make your own background sounds or sound effects, please, again, be very, very careful. I use a website called freesound.org, and you can filter on that website. You can search and filter for sound effects. So if I'm looking for feet walking on gravel, you can find things that are Creative Commons zero You can find things that are Creative Commons attribution, which means that you need to reference and source those in the credits of your show and provide links as necessary in your show notes. And so there's just a huge wild world there. Just as you're searching for sound effects, if that's something that you're doing, please be very, very careful about the licensing. I don't want you to get into trouble. There are also um, sound effect libraries that you can purchase And again, you're licensing those from different corporations and a sound effect is a great place to start. They have some great libraries. And then as far as music goes, again, yes, please do not use a Taylor Swift song unless you are Taylor Swift or you have a contract with her personally. It can be really difficult to find music that is what we call pod safe. I like to use, there's a website called Incompetech, I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H. That's done by Kevin McLeod. You can hear Kevin McLeod's music in so many podcasts because he creates pod safe music that is a Creative Commons Zero license. So I would definitely encourage you to start there. There are also possibilities for working with a composer. My partner, Tim, uh, for his audio drama Omen, uh, just looked on Twitter and said, hey, are there any composers who would like to get paid money to make music for my show? And he had a few people say, hey, I'd love to do that. And so he worked out contracts with them and they composed uh, the intro song, the outro song, and then some transitional music for between scenes. And he really enjoyed that. And it really is kind of cool to have music that is specifically written for your show that exactly is tailored to the tone and the mood that you want to set with your show. The only thing with that is, you know, it does get a little expensive because you are paying another artist for their time to create something for you. Yeah. And actually it's funny you mentioned Incompetech because this show uh, uses one of Kevin's pieces, which I got from Incompetech and credit him on the show notes page. And I also, uh, for my books and travel show, I got, I licensed it from Audio Jungle, Mm. which you can license up to a certain number of downloads uh, per episode or total number of downloads or something. So I bought a really massive license in there. (laughs) It would grow. And I also wanted to mention openculture.com, which, yeah, which has and places like the British Library and they release sound effects and, you know, libraries of all kinds of things, video and audio and images and things for people to use. So that would be another thing. Absolutely. And WNYC uh, here in the States is a New York uh, public radio station, and they also have a large library of royalty free songs that you can use. 
Mm, yes. So emphasis on the royalty free or the yes. creative commons and look at those licenses. But yeah, super important. So oh, there's so many things I'd like to ask you, but I do want to ask you about marketing because <laughs> what's so funny is you mentioned 2013, your blog wasn't getting any traction, but you were able to get traction on your podcast because the market wasn't so uh, full. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're now a few years ahead of that. And <laughs> there are a lot more podcasts out there. And this show, it, you know, part of its success is that I started it in 2009. So yes. it, it, if you're around longer, you can, it's easier to get traction. Although that is a tip just stick around long enough and everyone else will fade away. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It really is. Yes, it totally is. But um, just on, on the marketing, so for audio dramas like that, and I'm particularly interested in what Facebook is doing with podcasts. Mm. So what are your tips if people do write an audio drama or they set up a podcast? What are the best ways to market them? Oh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. I take just a full spectrum approach to marketing, and that includes asking yourself a lot of questions about why you're doing this in the first place and what you want to achieve with your show. So we really start by identifying, number one, what do you want out of this experience? Because how you market it will determine what you get out of that. And so if you want to build a huge fan base, if you want people making fan art about your show, if you want people writing fan fiction... Uh, then you're going to do one thing. Whereas if you want to create your show and make money and, you know, eventually license it, you know, to someone else to be adapted into something else, you're going to do things slightly different. And so understanding why are you doing this and what you want out of the experience is going to be your very first step. Your second step is going to be understanding who is this for? Who is the audience that is going to really, really love my work? And we talk about audience demographics like, oh, on gender, location, age, there's all those sort of ready-made marketing demographics. But I encourage people to also think about where are the people who are going to be listening to your show? What else do they enjoy? What other spaces are they in? I, I found that that can be a lot more valuable than identifying the gender or the age of a potential listener. It tells you more about them. What are their other interests? So, oh, the Right Now podcast obviously is going to appeal to writers and book lovers. Girl in Space is going to appeal to people who really perhaps enjoyed the Mass Effect video games or they love science fiction or so there's ways to identify common interests. And then those are the spaces that you're going to become a part of those communities online. So there's also, you know, the question of budget. And if you want to do it all for free, so with what's called organic reach, then you're going to do things a little bit differently than if you have a budget for an ad spend. I did both of my shows. I have not done any ad spend. I've done it just all organically. And so that's what I kind of prefer to talk about, especially since the podcasters I work with, they're already struggling to pay their actors and they don't really have hundreds of dollars for like a Google ad spend. And so really after we've identified why we're doing this, what we want to get out of it and who our audience is, we need to identify where our audience is online. And so I've noticed a lot of specifically audio drama audiences right now, and this is going to become outdated probably with even a year uh, or even six months is Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter. 
There's also a huge fan base for audio dramas on Reddit, if you're a part of that community. But really, it comes down to not simply using a social media platform to shout about your show, but it's using those platforms to build and become a part of a community. Because it's really marketing at least the way that I've done marketing in the past has been very community-based where you become a part of a community and whether that community is other creators or whether that community is fans of your show or whether there's a little crossover of both is going to determine how you talk about your show and where you talk about it. Social media-wise, I've found that uh, I call it the 80-20 approach. 80% of the time you should be engaging with your community, providing value, providing whatever it is the tone of your show is. So if you have an educational show, share resources, share interviews, promote other shows that are like yours. Yes, it's not a dangerous thing to do that. Yes, we can all get along in a big happy space. I'm, I'm very much an advocate of that. There's not a lot of competition that I'd want to encourage. And then understanding where people are congregating about sort of the fan side. Often there are two very different audiences. And this is something that a lot of independent creators don't realize is, oh, am I marketing to other creators? Am I building community with other creators? Or am I marketing to people who are going to potentially listen to my show? So I feel like there's this like 10 hour talk I could give about marketing, but the 80-20 rule is basically 80% of the time provide value. 20% of the time you can talk about your own show. You can promote your own work and say, hey, listen to my show. But really the majority of what you should be doing in any sort of online community is giving instead of what I call taking, which is advertising your show. Um, Again, that's just me. That's uh, the parameters that I've set for myself and that I advise for other people. But there are, of course, a million different ways to market and advertise your show online. Well, it's very similar to books, really. You know, book marketing, everything you said is what I would say about being an author. And Mm -hmm. uh, this show is entirely organic. I've never done any paid advertising for this podcast. (laughs) I mean, what happens again, we talked about longevity. The longer you're around, the more things spread by word of mouth. And that is gold and so thank you to everyone listening who spreads the word uh, (laughs) but also I would say audio marketing going on podcasts you know you're here you're talking about shows and some people are going to come over and check out your podcasts because you're right now talking to audio people people who listen and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the other thing people forget is if your product is in audio then do audio marketing that's probably an important thing Oh, it absolutely is. And um, especially that reminds me too, another way that's a great way to promote your show is to do promo swaps with other shows. So if there's another indie show that has a similar audience to you, you can send each other a 30 second clip or some kind of little ad to play and share in each other's audiences that way. And that's a great way to grow your show. Absolutely. Right. Well, where can people find you and your podcast (laughs) and everything you do online? Well, gosh, thank you for asking. People can find me out at sarahwerner.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-W-E-R-N-E-R.com. There are links there to the Right Now podcast, to Girl in Space, which is my fictional podcast, and also my newsletter and all sorts of free eBooks and stuff that are just available for download. Uh, So check those out. I do have a Right Now podcast episode with Joanna Penn, which was just a highlight of my early podcasting career. So thank you. I was going to say it's quite old now. It is. (laughs) 
thank you for being a guest years ago. I just, I appreciate you so much. And I just want to say thank you to you and to your listeners for listening to me ramble about podcasting and writing today. Oh, well, thanks so much for your time, Sarah. That was great. Thank you. So I hope you found the interview with Sarah interesting, and I certainly think there is a lot of potential with audio projects, particularly as the tech becomes easier and cheaper to use. It is not too late to get into audio. It is only going to grow. So next week, Mark Leslie Lefebvre is coming on the show and we go through our co-writing experience for The Relaxed Author out now on your favourite platform, (laughs) including how we split the writing and publishing roles, how we are very different and we discovered... (laughs) We discovered, even though we've known each other for a decade, we discovered new things about each other. And uh, our thoughts can sometimes overlap, but our practices are quite different. How we use dictation for the first draft and how our principles for staying relaxed helped us with the book. (laughs) Plus, obviously, some of our tips. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.